0: Please be aware, if you have children in the room, this sermon will contain mature content. Today we actually. This is so cool. We got Midtown with us. We got Hamilton Mill with us. We have people from New Zealand, Thailand, and Tanzania Woo! online with us today. Wow! And uh, hey, guys, good weekend to join us because we're about to talk about sex. We're talking about sex, y'all, and not just for today. Like we're spending a month talking about sex. Like we're gonna we're gonna have some conversations in this place and at our campuses. Um, and I know some of you are like, oh. I can't. <laughs> I talked to a lady between services. She was like, we never like growing up. Like we, and that's part of how we got here because I know like, I, I know some of us, we, we tense up when we talk about sex in church because we're not supposed to talk about sex in church. We're only supposed to talk about it and the privacy of our own homes. And online and on social media and with our friends and in the movies and the music and on billboards and on TV commercials and with the lady that we sit next to in the dentist office and with our barber and with our sister's roommate. Like, it seems like we can talk about sex everywhere except for in here. And maybe that's the reason that the whole world is messed up when it comes to sex, including Christians, Including Christians, because if we're being really honest, guys, we all know that all is not well in the world when it comes to sex. All is not well in the world. In fact, we tracked out a few statistics that I want to show you right here. So, um, here, here's the the first one in the in the top left up here. You see, in 2016, the time spent viewing porn racked up to 524,500 years. Years. This is not seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months. 5,000. 1,000 centuries of porn was cumulatively viewed in one year. This is the appetite of what's happening in the world. The, the bottom center in 2017, a top porn site, um, um, uh, reached 81 million people per day. Here, here, here's the idea, guys, is that the enemy of our soul, the one who comes only to steal and kill and destroy, is preaching to 81 million people a day. But we tense up when we talk about it in church one time. Like, what's wrong with that? Uh, bottom left here, for every three men who struggle with a sexual addiction, there's one woman who struggles with a sexual addiction. And the reason I say that is we need to know that sexual issues are not just a man's sport. All right? The, the, the sexual issues are not just a man's problem. This is a human issue. And so, ladies, here's the thing. Ladies struggle with this, too. You just don't talk about it. Because it has so much more social stigma on it because it's, oh, boys will be boys, but girls, oh, no, 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 no. Right, no, this is something we all need to talk about. Uh, Bottom right here, uh, it says that cohabiting couples are more likely to experience infidelity. All right, now I know maybe as Christians, we're like, oh yeah, of course. Uh, But here's what happens is that two people say they like each other. They like each other enough to move in with each other. And they think that that's actually going to increase their chances of getting married. What you don't understand is if you live with each other before marriage, you actually have a less chance of getting married. And if you do get married, you have a 46% chance higher of getting divorced because that entire relationship isn't built on love. It's built on selfishness. Because the selfishness says this, I like you enough to live with you, share bills with you and have sex with you, but I don't like you enough to commit to you. And here's the idea of cohabiting is this, if I can't wait to have sex with you, who else can't I wait to have sex with? Oh, it's getting real, it's getting real. All right, top right, hookup apps are on the rise. and that's, That's not just on the rise, that's like through the roof over the last few years. This is called the swipe life. I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands in here how many people live in the swipe life. Um, Swipe life is basically this, for everybody who's never heard of that before, is you get an app and uh, based on your preferences, it gives you suggestions. If you don't like what they look like, you swipe left. If you do like what they look like, you swipe right. And if you swipe right and they swipe right on you, then it connects you and you start talking, which sounds good in theory, but we live in a disposable culture. And so what it's led to is what's called, forgive me, it's led to the hit it and quit it culture. The hidden quit it culture, just this disposable sort of a culture. In fact, I read a Vanity Fair article about this guy named Alex up in New York who had slept with five women over the last eight days that he met on Tinder, and he affectionately called them his Tinderellas. Isn't that cute? That's so nice. That's so loving. So caring. His little Tinderellas. The most shocking stat here is what we see in the, in the, in the top center. It says that mo, the, the Christian thinking on sex between unmarried adults in a committed relationship. I don't know what an unmarried committed relationship looks like, but Christian thinking on unmarried committed relationships says that 33% of confessing Christians say that it's always okay to have sex. Always okay to have sex. Um, Sometimes okay is 24%, rarely okay is 10%, and never okay is 32%. Doing the math, that means that 67% of confessing Christians, 68% of confessing Christians, two out of three, say that there are circumstances in which unmarried people can have sex. And then there's one third that says that's never okay. And victory, I pray that we are the third. I do because our answer matters. Our answer matters because what you don't see up there is the 50, over 50% of people who had sex outside of marriage wish that they hadn't. What you don't see up there is 80% of women now say that they have been sexually harassed or sexually abused. And in what it is, we live in this world where there's rampant abuse and rampant assault and rampant harassment and rampant pornography and rampant incest and, 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 and dysfunction and molestation and perversion and guilt and shame and regret. We see right now happening in the world all around us that, that pedophilia is being normalized before our very eyes. This is happening actively right now. That people's lives are being destroyed by sex and maybe your life has been destroyed by sex because you were in a committed relationship with somebody who's now in a committed relationship with somebody else. And could it be that this whole sex thing was not as easy and simple and uncomplicated as the world tries to make it to be? You know, maybe you've heard this said before that, that you know, um, the, the, the strongest man in the Bible, Samson, the wisest man in the Bible, Solomon, the man after God's own heart, David, all got taken out by the sex thing. Which begs the question, man, when did we go off the rails, right? Where did, where did this all go sideways when it came to the sex thing? Which by the way, is a great question to ask. Where did it go wrong? Where did we go wrong when it came to this thing called sex? And what happens is this, Jesus, as is Jesus's tendency, gives us great language, great perspective on how to think about even sex. And it's found in this interaction that he has with the Pharisees, the religious leaders who come to test him. Matthew 19, verse three. Some Pharisees came to test Jesus. And they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. I love that. (laughs) They're like, hey, so I can just, whenever I want to, right? I can just divorce and move on. He didn't quit it, right? And Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning, everybody say at the beginning, (laughs) the creator made them male and female and said to them, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but now they're one flesh. Therefore, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And then they say, well, why then did Moses, remember Moses, I'm gonna pin this on Moses. Why did Moses command us that a man could actually give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I'm gonna say that last line one more time. But it was not this way from the beginning, but it wasn't this way from the beginning. See, here's the deal. The religious leaders kept on wanting to jump ahead to Deuteronomy. And they're saying, Jesus, but Moses let let us get a divorce. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't jump to Deuteronomy. I wanna take you back to Genesis. Let's go back to Genesis back to what it was in the beginning. And what he's trying to say is this, guys, you keep on wanting to jump ahead to Deuteronomy when Moses had to accommodate the word to fit the hardened sinfulness of the human heart. You wanna take what God said and conform it to your heart instead of conforming your heart to what God said. You wanna jump ahead to Deuteronomy and you wanna change the word to make it like you, but I wanna take you back to Genesis to make you what it was in the beginning. And Jesus is trying to get us back to this thing called original intent. Everybody say original intent. Midtown, Hamilton, original intent. Here's the idea. What was God's original plan for marriage? That's what he's trying to say. He's saying, they're saying, can I divorce anyone for any reason like that? He said, but haven't you heard it said at the beginning? I wanna take you back to the beginning. Jesus is saying, hey, before people got their hands on marriage, before it was corrupted, before it was stained, before it was shifted and and manipulated to fit around the human heart, he said, I want you to know what God's heart was for it. And today, here's what I wanna do. Here's what I wanna do for us. I wanna take us back to the garden. I wanna take us back to the garden. I wanna take us back to let there be light. I wanna take us back to the beginning. I wanna take us back to original intent. And, And before People got their hands on sex and manipulated sex and twisted and corrupted sex and conformed it to fit the hardened sinful heart. What was God's idea for sex? What's God's heart for sex? Maybe you've never even heard that that question asked before. What was God's idea of sex in the beginning? What was sex in the beginning? Here's the first thing it was. What was sex in the beginning? You ready for this? Sex was good. Sex was good. No, like really, really, y'all. Sex was good. Hamilton Miller, are you ready for this? I don't know. Y'all ready for it? Sex was good. God creates on the first day, let there be light. It's good. Second day, create some more. It's good. Third day, fourth day, fifth day. It's good. Sixth day. He creates people, Genesis 1, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. It wasn't just good, it was really good. All right, so, what God does, He creates Adam and Eve, He creates male and female, that they are um, what we would call a sexually differentiated pair all right, that they are alike in value, they are alike in dignity, they are alike in worth, but they are different in form and not just physical form, permeating form. He created male and female, not just biological, but the whole form of male, the whole form of female. He created the two and get this, then he blessed them and he told them to be fruitful and multiply. I'm just, let's just be real. God told Adam and Eve to have sex. And get this, he didn't just tell them to have sex. He says, fill the world with people. In other words, God told Adam and Eve to have a lot of sex. Like a lot of sex. Come on, people. Y'all are like, no, he didn't. No, we've, I've only done that one time because I have one child. Because we're terrible at talking about this in church. All right? God creates sex, he blesses them, tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And he says, that's not only good, that's very good. That's really good. This may shock you guys, this may shock you victory, okay? But sex was not invented in a dark alley behind a porn shop. God made sex. God is not ashamed of sex. God is not embarrassed by sex. God created sex as a gift. Everybody say gift as a gift to humanity. At the heart of original intent is the bold affirmation that sex is a gift. Sex is a gift. Guys, let me just say this. Christians should be the first people to say that sex is a gift. I know we're terrible at talking about this, all right? Christians should be the, Christians should be the first people to say that sex feels good. <laughs> can't say that in church. Listen, it's not just about pleasure, but it is about pleasure. Sex is about three things. Sex is about pleasing, uniting, and creating, okay? It's about pleasure. It's about uniting two people together in marriage, and it's about creating life. Like that's how powerful sex is, is that it can create life. Talk about something amazing and powerful. Talk about something that's a gift. But here's the problem. Guys, Christians are so bad at talking about this. You know, so, so what happens is we substitute other words, right? You know, I was, I was, I, one time I heard a pastor, uh, he was preaching, and he called sex marital obligation, <laughs> which sounds like a prison sentence, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you, no, you said you would right? Um, I I was looking at a a Christian website one time, and it called sex one flesh intimacy. One flesh intimacy. My favorite, uh, hands down, my favorite is a Christianity Today online article uh, called sex, the perpetuation of genital union. (laughs) Can you imagine? Come on. Can you imagine a husband walking in and be like, hey, baby, uh, it's time to fulfill that marital obligation that we have and uh, have some one flesh intimacy while we perpetuate the genital union. <laughs> you ladies would be like, "Woo! Woo! Woo!" You know how to speak to a lady. We're so li- listen. Can I read the Bible for a second? Can I can I do that in church? Can I read the Bible in church? All right, Song of Solomon. Seven six. Oh, how beautiful you are. How pleasing my love, how full of delights. You are slender like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. And I said, I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like grape clusters and the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine flowing gently over lips and teeth. Can I read that in church? That's so much better than marital obligation. And guys, here's the problem. The way we talk about sex makes it seem like the world has all the good sex and Christians have all the boring sex. But I don't know, my God is the one who invented sex and he called it good. He called it good. He called it good. Don't get ahead of me, he called it good. He said it's good, it's not only good, it's very good. So here's what we need to know, what sin is not, okay? Sin, it's not sin, to be attracted to someone or notice that they're good looking. It's not sin to have a desire to have sex. It's not sin to anticipate and be excited about having sex in marriage. It's not. Sex is good. Listen, sex is good. That's why you wanna do it. That's not a broken desire that you have. God looked at sex and he said, sex is good. And we have to say this in church. This is why we have to say this, okay, is because Many of us, we grow up our whole lives hearing sex is bad, 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 bad. But then you put a ring on your finger and now sex is good, 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 good. And we've walked so many people through premarital stuff that we found out it's not that easy to flip that switch. If you've grown up your whole life hearing sex is bad, now on the honeymoon, no, 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 all of a sudden, no, remember, remember, sex is now good. It's not that easy to flip that switch. What we have to understand is that in God's heart, God smiles when he thinks about sex. And I know this is so weird for us to think about it, but it's this, here, let me say it like this. We will never understand God's no to sex outside of marriage until we understand God's resounding yes to sex inside of marriage. We will never understand God's no to sex outside of marriage until we understand God's yes to sex inside of marriage, that sex is good. But the problem is this, right? Genesis 1, Genesis 2, sex is good. Genesis 3 comes, and then the serpent, the enemy of our souls, he he slithers into the garden. Did God really say, Adam and Eve, they take the fruit, they bite, Sin enters into the world, death by sin, and everything that sin touches gets corrupted, including sex, to the point that what used to be a gift is now explicit, God created sex as good, but now it's explicit. This beautiful thing has been defiled. It's been corrupted. That sex, we've taken this beautiful thing. Listen, we've taken this beautiful thing and we've stripped it down to one night stands and and Tinder profiles and, and videos on a cell phone in the midnight hour. We've stripped this beautiful thing down and we've sexualized our children. We've taken this beautiful thing and we've removed sex from marriage. We've re- Listen, we've removed sex to the point where we've, we've, we've separated out the intent. It was about pleasing and uniting and creating, but we pulled the pleasing apart from everything else. And now sex is no longer about uniting a couple in marriage. Sex is no longer about creating life. It's only about pleasure. And we've defiled what God made holy. We've corrupted what God made good. Sex outside of boundaries is like fire outside of boundaries, right? You take fire outside of a fireplace. Fire inside a fireplace is amazing. But you take fire outside of that and you put it out into an open field and it will consume everything in its path. You want to know what fire without boundaries looks like? Look at California. California. Look at the West Coast right now. It's burning to the ground. It's, it's moving through these areas. It's destroying these lives. It's killing people. It's using fuel, families for fuel. What people have spent their whole lives for, it is burning it to the ground, just like the sexual revolution that we find ourselves in right now, right? No, sex is good. There's no problem with sex. No casual sex. There, yeah, there's safe sex and all these sorts of things, but it's burning us to the ground because fire without boundaries will consume everything. Guys, sex was never supposed to be about guilt and shame. Sex was never supposed to be touched by guilt and shame. But some of you today, you have so much guilt, you have so much shame, right? I know what it's like. I know what it's like to crawl into church and you're like, oh, good, don't look at me, God, <laughs> right? And then you crawl back out of church, oh, because of what I did or what's been done to me or what I'm doing. Some of you clicked today and it was painful to click on and watch this message because you're like, oh, God, what I've been doing. But it wasn't so from the beginning. It wasn't so from the beginning. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Original intent is,